And MLM Rebel is a new breed of network marketer, smarter, truly independent, and free. MLM Rebels wage war against the soul-sucking corporate world and against networkers who would rather preserve doctrine than helping people get results. MLM Rebels recognize when the world changes and changes with it. MLM Rebels don't believe in duplicating things that no longer work and would rather work without a safety net than within the confines of one. MLM Rebels are only involved in opportunities that give everyone an equal playing field instead of a top-heavy one. We don't care about the sacred cows of MLM, we don't care about the industry, and we do not care about the way it's always been done. We care about people following their gut. We care about people being able to quit their jobs now. We care about people being with their family instead of their boss every day. We care about people being with their family instead of their team all day. We care about people living free. We believe a truly free networker has multiple streams of income. We believe a truly free networker's creativity isn't shackled by their company's contract. We believe a truly free network marketer actually knows how to market and that they run their business like a real business. MLM Rebels prioritize faith, family, business, sacrifice sacred cows, build their own empires, never rebel against each other, and change the world. MLM Rebels know they are not confined by doctrine, not stifled by the past, and know they are one business away. My name is Zach Spear, and welcome to MLM Rebels. Hey, what's up, everyone? I hope you're doing good. Today, I want to talk with you about something that happened to me a lot of times in my network marketing career, and um, and I think it'll be really, really helpful for you because um, if you really, really care about your business and you care about the people in your business, I have no doubt that this has happened to you or it will happen to you because... Um, it happens to everyone, uh, and then there's a way to there's a way to mitigate this and to make it um, go away. Hopefully for next time. So I want to talk to you about what happens, or not what happens, um, what you do when someone breaks your heart in network marketing. Um, which, depending on what, how long you've been in the business, how many people you sponsored, and all that stuff, determines if this has happened and how many times it's happened to you. But it, it's it's it, it it's commonplace, all right? So let me kind of paint the picture for you, and then I'll let you know why my heart doesn't get broken anymore. Um, uh, or I should say, very seldomly does it, and uh, it has a limited pain. So first getting started in network marketing, I was 20, just turning 21 years old, and I built the business with all of my heart. Um, for the first six years, I built it old school, as you probably know. Um, built the business entirely old school. Uh, I put probably, I bet, between 30 and 40 hours a week into my business outside of my day job for those six years. Um, did the, all the stuff that you, you know, heard me talk about not, not to do, all the old school stuff. Stalking people, you know, cold contacting all day long, millions of meetings. And one of the things that doing the business old school does, and this is primarily a good thing is when you're building it physically and in person um and this translates into just in person like period that could even be uh like over a zoom meeting so when you're building it like kind of like belly to belly if you will even if it's online you one of the good things is you you generate a you generate really strong relationships um because you're always meeting with people right you're always talking to them getting to know them uh it makes you a really good communicator which is which is a great side effect of that. So belly to belly building, while there's a billion downsides of it, um, 
it, it, it can make you incredibly effective at other things in your life and business because of how well you can communicate and the relationships you can develop and stuff like that. So I'm building it with all of my heart in, in kind of in this time frame. And, you know, I remember the first thing I really, really wanted, I just really wanted someone that could, that would run with me, like really run with me. Like, of course I could sponsor people, you know, someone that would just whatever, you know, float around that kind of a thing. But I really, the first thing I really wanted was someone to run with me, like someone that would keep up with me. They would, they would put in anything it took. They'd always show up to the meetings. They'd always work just as hard as me. I just wanted like my wingman, right? Or my wing woman. I, I didn't care. I just wanted someone like that. And, you know, eventually I, I had a few of those, right? A few of these people that stuck it out with me through thick and thin, right? They just were, you know, no matter what. And you really need, and you're built, if you're building business like belly to belly like this, you really need like four to five really strong like people like this to kind of get you in a spot where you'll make some okay money, right? And so I, I almost always had one or two of these like wingmen, wing, wing women um, throughout my career. And they, they were very, very hard to get because I had to sponsor five, 10 people to find one of them. And, and a few times, and now, uh, now I'm, now I have my, my, my one or three, my one, two or three close people with me. And now we're kind of like building the team around us. Right. So like, you know, there, there could be, you know, five people around this person and 10 person, 10 people around this person and so on. And we're kind of trying to build a team around us. And since we're building, you know, in person, we get really close relationally with everyone, even if they're not like the wingman. And that's, that's, that's how you can create a lot of retention. But when you invest a lot relationally into someone, you have, you can get hurt, right? I mean, the person that that can hurt you the most is the person that that you love the most, that you're the most vulnerable with. They have the most ability to hurt you. And that is, it also holds true here in network marketing or in any facet of life. And so when we want something so bad, like a, like a really big team that we can impact and help, and then we do it by building really close relationships with people that can hurt us, well, when they quit, when they leave, it like rips a piece of our heart out, Right. It's like, it's so devastating. And again, I might be, this might be too intense for you depending on where you're at in the business if you've never built with fero- like massive ferocity and um, you know had a lot of people and hadn't watched them quit. Like you might not know what I'm talking about, but this will happen to you, I promise, if you stick around. And I'm not trying to scare you, it just is what it is. But I imagine if you're still listening to this podcast right now, this episode, you may have had this happen to you. And... Someone you invested a lot in, they decide to leave. They decide to quit. And it like takes a piece of us with them. I remember one time I had this guy named James. He was on our team. I was driving home one night. I was cold contacting people. And my goal was to contact like 10 people every day, cold contact. And I was driving home. I'd ha- I think I was at number nine. I was, at, this was, my, I was literally, I was number nine. And it was about 930 at night. And that was an early night for me at that time. But I didn't really meet people out and about at that time at night. I usually would go meet with my current team. Um, so I, I thought literally that I would be one short that night. And that was eating me up. I, I could not take being one short. Um, in fact, one, one time I was literally laying in bed at two o'clock in the morning and I was too short for the day. I literally got out of bed, couldn't live with myself, got out of bed and drove to a gas station and cold contacted the employees there. And one random guy had a gas pump at two 30 in the morning. And obviously they didn't get in cause I probably thought I was a psychopath, but I just, I couldn't live with myself. 
So back to the story. I'm driving home. It's 9.30. And, um, and I'm like, oh, I got to do one more. So I pull into a gas station because I saw a guy sitting there. He was driving a Lexus. And I had an Acura. And I was like, okay, this guy seems like he's probably successful. He's got a Lexus, right? And so I get up there. And we start talking. And he's about my age, maybe a year younger. And he's selling cars, which is what I used to do. And I'm like, man, this guy's really legit. So I cold contact him there on the spot. He gets in our business of, uh, after, you know, um, you know, after a week or two, right? So he comes to the, comes to the meeting. I remember he texted me the day of the meeting. And I was like, oh, crap, 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 crap. You know, because someone texted you the day of the meeting. You, they're can- probably canceling, right? Well, he wasn't. He was texting me. He said, hey, can I bring a friend with me? I'm like, well, yeah, for sure, bro. Actually, I didn't say, yeah, I kind of postured it and said, actually, why don't you come by yourself? And maybe next time we'll, we'll, we'll talk about your friend if he's qualified. So he's coming. I'm excited, right? He comes. Uh, I remember he literally spilled like, like coffee on himself um, at the like at the meeting before he came in. So he had a white shirt on, a white dress shirt, and he was in the car and he spilled coffee on himself. And he came in. He's like, "Oh my gosh, dude, I spilled coffee. I'm really embarrassed. You know, do you happen to have? Can you help me out?" And um, anyway, he goes to the meeting. He gets in. He's excited, and and this guy ends up staying in. Uh, Here he gets in. He gets like he gets like really in. And he becomes like one of my like wingmen, like one of the dudes that was with me. And, um, and we, it was me, this guy named, uh, Tom and this guy named Tim. We were like kind of the, the four musketeers and um, I still have pictures of us. Um, and, uh, and it was like, we were like taking over the world, man. And I remember this guy, James, like he was, he was so gritty. He was like gritty like me, right? He was like, he wanted to work hard, wanted to make it happen. And, um, one time I was cold contacting, uh, I was at a Walmart or a Target and I'm cold contacting and like me and this guy, Tom and, and this guy, James, we're like, we're, we're like, you know, well, actually this time I didn't know this because at the story this is that I'm at this Target and I'm doing my 10 for the day and James walks in to this random Target that I'm in and he's cold contacting people. And I'm like, this is freaking awesome. Like, like I got a dude that's committed like me, you know, he didn't just call his list and then get, get, give up. He didn't just, you know, call the list again and give up. He didn't just do this and give up. He's going after this. And remember that was the first time I kind of saw this guy as like, man, he's, he's like my dude. Right. And so, um, so he, yeah, he continues and he works really, really hard. And, um, anyway, about a year goes, a year goes on and the whole time we're like, we're like become like, he's one of my best friends at this point. And I remember his, um, about a year in, his dad starts to give him crap. His, his, his dad's starting to say, like, James, like, how much money have you made with that thing? You know? And James starts adding it up, and it's really, really small. And he's like, well, how much money have you spent in that thing? He adds it up, and it's actually pretty big. He's like, well, James, what are you doing? Like, clearly your ROI's not there. And James is like, oh, my gosh, you're right. And his dad unknowingly kind of started snatching the dream away from James. And James called me. And he's, you know, he started to express major doubts. And within a week, he was really exiting. And I remember, I remember him sending me uh, a message and, or, and a phone call. And I remember him basically telling me he's, he's, he's out. And I dropped everything. And I went to, and I drove. I met him for like lunch or something when he, on his lunch break. And I'm sitting at a Panera Bread, and I'm trying to basically get him not to quit, essentially. And the end of the story is he did. He did quit. Uh, within probably a week from that, you know, he may have come to one more meeting, and then he was out. He was gone. And 
boom, just like that. It was like my best, my best like wingman, my best friend was gone. It was like he was gone. And, and this happened more than once. I mean, I could tell you multiple stories of this. And that was more aggressive because he was like one of my like wingmen, right? But this happened probably hundreds of times through people that weren't my wingmen. They were just really good people that I invested a lot in. I actually had my very best friend on this planet, virtually my two top best friends, like from high school, both of them were in my business and both of them literally vanished. Like one of them vanished. He had kind of a history of vanishing. He vanished for years. Like I could never to be heard from again until like years later. And another friend uh, has a similar kind of like quitting story to James. And like, this is like my, my two best friends from high school, people I grew up with, like seventh grade, sleepovers, playing video games type of stuff. And I remember this just like ripped a piece of me out. Um, and this happened, like I said, hundreds of times. I'm like the amount of pain that, that I went through and endured that like in those six years is I would not want to do it again, to be quite honest with you. I hope you don't have to do it, and I hope you don't. The reason I'm bringing this up right now is because I know you may have gone through something like this. Maybe it was once, maybe it was 10 times, maybe it was hundreds of times like me. I don't know. But there's ways to mitigate this and to not make it as bad. You know, as time went on further and further and further, the pain got less and less and less. And... It happened, there's a few different ways that this happened. The first way is I became calloused. And that is almost like my, my consciousness that cared separated from my human form, if you will. And not necessarily in a good way. It was like I just stopped giving a freaking crap. And this lasted for almost two years. And I know people around me, like I know the people like in my downline and crossline, probably couldn't pick it up, but I know my coach's upline did. And I know my wife did, because at this point I had met Ashley. And, but I could put on a show, right? So, so the people downline, they didn't really notice. But I basically just stopped caring. Like, whatever, right? Because I thought to myself, like, man, I've done this so many times, hundreds of times. I've watched this happen to me and had my piece of me ripped out. And I would look across the table from a prospect and I would look to them and be like, do I think this guy or this girl can go through what I've been through, still stay here and still get results? And almost every single time the answer was no. I was like, I know the words that I'm saying coming out of my mouth sound like this could be doable for you. But inside my heart, I know that you probably can't do it because I know what I've gone through to get through, get here. I don't necessarily know if it's worth it. And I don't think you can go through the pain. And by the way, this I'm being hopefully this is okay. They're being this real with you. Um, so the first thing is I just separated. I just became callous. I just stopped caring at all, and that's fine. But over after for the first year, year and a half, that was actually nice for me. It was really nice to separate. But after about a year and a half, I started to feel a void, like an emotional void. Like I was no, I no longer had a fire. I no longer had that care. It was almost like I didn't care what happened to me. You know, it wasn't like self-destructive to the point where I was like jumping off of cliffs and stuff and like trying to hang glide. But it was to the point I just didn't care. 
And I, I was like, you know, God, like I need to care again. I need to love. I need to care. But I, I need you to help me protect myself. And this is kind of where I'm at today. I do care again. You know, for those, for those two years I'm referencing, I didn't pick up the phone like one time. I like literally didn't talk to anyone. I mean, like in my, in my, in my team, in my organization, nothing. Like I didn't really talk to anyone. And for a while I loved it. But then I started to, like I said, get a little bit emotionally unavailable. Well, today I do have that fire back. It was a conscious effort to get it. I have that fire back. I care about the people on our team. But when they do the things that would have broken old Zach's heart, my heart doesn't get broken. It may, it may kind of, you know, it may take a swing at it. It may, it may hit it. But there's an armor around the heart now. The inside of that heart is still very, very soft, cares deeply. But the outside, I've been fortunate enough to have a set of armor put around that heart. And the first and most kind of actionable thing that I can probably leave you with to how to have that armor is to recognize that your success in this industry and in any industry as far as I know is wholly dependent on you. Wholly dependent on you. And if you keep moving forward, if you keep taking action on your own business and not really caring what people downline do, it will give you so much freedom. It's almost unfathomable. And I know you probably mentally understand what I just said, but you probably don't own it in your heart. Because I was told that for those six years, what I just told you, but I didn't own it. I knew that if I just took enough action, I could kind of get over what my downline wasn't doing. But I didn't own it inside. I didn't really believe it. Like really, truly, honestly believe it. The second thing is that when I say something to my, to our team, I hope that they get it, but I don't care if they do. That's way different than the way I grew up was I hope that they get it. All right. I hope that they get it. And I sincerely almost like stake my effectiveness on the fact that they did or not. I stake my self-worth on the fact that they're doing something. And when I learned to separate my self-worth, my self-image from what other people did on my team, I got 10 times happier. <clears throat> that is one of the reasons that I love building the business the way that we teach to build it, generating mass quantities of leads, doing things online. Because if you can generate mass quantities of leads, quality or non-quality, but you really need quality ones, you can probably do enough work just on your own to quit most jobs. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen overnight. It's going to take a while, all right? But if you're building the business entirely old school, you really need to hit a critical mass point before you have any shot at quitting your job, meaning you need to have a lot of people doing a lot of stuff. Doing the business online like this, you have something called scale. And again, it depends on your account plan, depends on how good you are, all these different things. But there's at least a chance that you could literally ride your own personal efforts to at least full time doing the business like this. And then critical mass comes later. That's when you really, really start doing well. But the first thing, like I said, with kind of alleviating the heartbreak is to recognize that you are the one. You're the one responsible for you. 
And when you say something to someone, when you train someone, you hope that they get it, but you honestly don't care if they do. My first kind of big upline, he was, I don't know if it was natural. I think it was natural for him, but he was very, very ambitious, but he was also, he had this piece of his personality that just didn't care. And I always envied that in him because I was very, very ambitious, but I did care like a lot, right? And I didn't mean he didn't care about people. He just didn't care about whether people listened to him or not. So like if he would try to coach someone and get them to stay in and they didn't stay in, like he'd be like, okay, you lost. And then he'd be, he'd be done. Like he wouldn't think about it anymore. Whereas me, I'd be like, okay, you're lost. But then it would bother me for months. And it would kind of just eat at me and eat at me and eat at me and eat at me. And I think the last thing I'll say, which is kind of a, an addendum to point number one, is when you have so much stuff going on in your own personal pipeline, you just do not care what's happening around you. I heard this quote years ago, and it was consistency breeds emotional stability. Consistency in your action, consistency in your pipeline. If you have a lot of action, thus creating a full pipeline, you will create emotional stability. You will care significantly less when people do stupid things, because people do stupid things, by the way. The majority of your team will do stupid things. And you'll be a better leader anyway. For a few reasons. Number one, you'll have more strength. Number two, people want to follow you. You'll create a gravitational pull that people want to be a part of. I have to do a lot less fancy pants leading nowadays than I did back in my, in my first kind of old school run. Because now I, I can take mass levels, levels of action and get really good results by myself. And so I kind of create this pull that people want to be a part of, even though I'm not using as many verbal ninjutsu, hardcore leadership tricks that I had to use back then, because that gravitational pull, it wasn't available, right? That business model couldn't do it. So anyway, got a little rambly at the end of there. If this helped you, leave a review down below. Let me know that this helped you. Leave a rating, leave a five-star rating and leave a review down below. We literally have a perfect five-star rating if some Schmuckatelli didn't leave us a one-star at one point and be like dingleberries and say like, oh, this is the same old stuff. I'm like, what are you talking about? What do you mean same old stuff? Crazy. Anyway, we have a 4.9 star rating because that guy or that girl, whoever it was. <clears throat> anyway, leave a review and a rating down below. That'd be awesome. We appreciate you big time and uh, grateful for your time here today. Hope you have an amazing day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.